Hello everyone, welcome to Green Knight. Today on the broadcast, we are very lucky to welcome the one and only Michael Wan from Susquehanna, susquehannaalchemy.com. He uh, <clears throat> is, right, words fall short and it sounds like I'm blowing smoke, but he's an amazing, amazing individual and you can find him speaking on many different po podcasts because uh, people love to hear what he has to say. He does many things, but he um, loves to decode mysteries and aid in efforts to expand consciousness. Mysteries often involve the land, the geography and the human geography, the history of the land is present on its, you know, as it presents, but it's tricky to see, right? And so <clears throat> mysteries involve the land, its features and alignments and their correspondence to the habitation patterns of humanity over time. And Mike, um, Michael Wan navigates the weaving of connections between the land and the people in a way that is engaging and compelling, and also in a way that asks um, questions, perhaps the correct questions. If you ask me, they are, yes, they are the correct questions. And, right, so adding that caveat, um, Right, which is to say that we're just asking the right questions. We're not claiming to have an answer, despite how it may sound at times. <laughs> like pointing the finger at me right here. Right, so asking the right questions can uh, change our approach that we take to the truth. So these mysteries that uh, Mike is drawn to, to study and to investigate, offer a non-traditional line of reasoning that reveals things about our experience as humans. Mike asked the question, is our consciousness domesticated? <laughs> and I'm right. So I don't think I've heard him say it that way, but what he's talking about is a rewilding of consciousness that would be very helpful in general application in the world. This is what he talks about, and I completely agree with him, which is why I invite him to come on the broadcast. This rewilding of consciousness serves to reveal the illusion, which Mike also talks about, the uh, false reality, right? You know what I'm talking about, and if you've heard Mike talk about it, then you definitely know what I'm talking about. Um, the message that I get from Mike is that awareness of the world outside of the packaged, packaged version of reality that we are presented changes how you relate to it. So, you know, to put that another way, it's like being outside and observing nature changes how you relate to the reality because nature is the reality, even though we can't know it fully, right? The absolute truth of what nature is, um, it's evident that its processes um, have been going on for a long time and they operate from a certain set of rules, right? So I digressed a little bit there. But it's, uh, it's what we, me and Mike talk about, what Mike and I talk about in this conversation. Um, 
so and I did paraphrase Mike a few times while we were talking you know it's like re-saying what I thought he heard he say and said and I didn't get it right as you will see and but I hear Mike and my mind returns to me that we are in complete agreement despite you know um, going hard in the paint as we were so I meant to intro Mike um, when we got on the phone together, but um, we just started talking and um, immediately, you know, got deep into it. And so I decided on the fly just to do it later, which is what I'm doing now. Right. So the way this conversation goes is how I talk to my bros, you know, and the respect and love that I have for Mike is implicit. And I hope that comes across. It's like we already know each other. Yeah. So I think this is a pretty hard hitting episode. Um, and I do an outro uh, as well, which is the first time that I've done that because I've only done two interviews. Right? This is the second one. <laughs> I could outro my intros that I do myself, but right. So the whole thing's an in outro, this whole podcast. <clears throat> All right. So without further ado, welcome to the broadcast, the great Michael Wan. This is fine. Uh, I'll figure it out. Um, so yeah, uh, I just want to talk to you because I've been listening to you. I, I heard you on, uh, for the first time on THC and it might've been your second appearance, but, uh, I don't listen to every of Greg's shows, but on, you know, like I'll look at the title and I'll be like, yeah. And, uh, for you, I was like, Hmm, Susquehanna. Right. So when you grow up in the West, you have this, like, uh, I don't know. You look on the East as kind of like, uh, that's where we came from. And it's, uh, doesn't got it going on because, uh, it's not fresh, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And so, definitely, yeah. Definitely. But, but there was something, you know, it's like it's the, the population density out there and also like the press of the humidity, like the air density is so much higher, you know, and you can't see as far because of that, because of all the moisture in the air. And so you have to be more, uh, I think, uh, aware um, to really catch on to the things that you're looking into, uh, in your area, you know, in Pennsylvania and the Susquehanna and all that. And, and so I think if, uh, out here in the West, you can see for a hundred miles, you know, and so things are, it's kind of more overwhelming and all of the features, you know, the geographical features are all like right in your face, you know? And so it's like, you can almost be overwhelmed by the majesty of, of the view and not really, um, you know, go into the investigation of, of like the way you do it, you know, <clears throat> back in your area, right. Which is to figure out how would you describe it, Mike? Uh, what, what is it, what is it that you're, that you're trying to figure out by um, looking at the land the way you so, do it? Okay. So, so I want to, I want to begin with your setup because, because that's fascinating to me. And I think that's a, uh, both on your personal level, but then also I think in a more general level. And what I mean by that is, uh, on the general level, like we are conditioned to see 
whether it's different geographies or different, like all the different ways you could say different, anything that is not your first point of reference, we see it in uh, more or less like a false reality. That's just the nature of how how we're, our brains have been or our consciousness has been conditioned in this world to work. So, so just when you recognize that, like there's something so friggin' cool when you begin to, to recognize it, because one of my favorite things to think about are blind spots you know, metaphorically and literally. But if we're going to talk about like a blind spot in our awareness of what's going on in every level, uh, first is the first step is the fact that you have to come to the conclusion or, or you the acceptance that you have a blind spot. Like that's a hard thing for a lot of people. So if you could even say like, yeah, of course, I got blind spots for things I can't see. There's like there's there's no knowns and there's no unknowns. And there's, a, you know, that whole sort of thing. Yeah. But then to go a step further and then actually say, apply it to yourself and be like, I don't know. I don't know how big my blind spot is. And because the definition of blind spot is, is it could be really small. Or it could be really big. You just don't know. And so when we go and we and, and the point I'm bringing up the blind spots is part of our experience and part of our understanding comes from our point of reference of how we, where we've been conditioned. It doesn't matter where you've been conditioned, whether you've been conditioned in LA, New York city, in a hut somewhere in Antarctica, or, you know, it's, it's, that's your point of reference. Right. And so, but, but you and I are talking, we're, we're, we're roughly the same age and we, you know, we grew up in the same, at least country. So we have some real similarities in terms of how we've been conditioned to see the world as, you know, a Gen Xer who grew up in, in North America. Um, but then there's a, a distinction. There's a real distinction within uh, the United States culture, which is how we see both um, the geography, but then also what that geography and the culture on top of it represents. Um, and it's just like what you said, like uh, we all like out east, I, we think the same thing as what you described out <laughs> west. Like, oh, there's nothing out east. Like everything's out west, whether you describe it like what you're saying, it's like more fresh. It's the bleeding edge. It's all of that sort of stuff. Or you could look at it like oh, the mad. All of these different ways are true. Um, and I think I always carried that myself. I uh, never even really thought about it, but but, you know, I've lived the majority of my life or I guess all of my life in or around the mid-Atlantic. And so I'm very, very uh, uh, shaped in terms of seeing it a certain way. Um, it wasn't until I began to look at at the history of the Susquehanna. Like I've a, I've a, um, I'll, I'll even take a step back. This is, this is, you asked me a simple question. I'm giving you a complex <laughs> thing, that, but that's just the way it rolls, I suppose. Yeah. So, um, like I wasn't raised in to, I wasn't raised in the outside. I wasn't raised in a family that went camping. I wasn't raised, I wasn't a boy scout. So I don't really have that experience. I don't have an aversion. Like I know people who have an aversion to going out. I don't have that, but I'm not one of those like, Oh yeah, we're just going to go and, and just like real survive, like a survivalist understanding of reality. I don't have that, but I do have something else. I do have a very, very special relationship with the outer world. And a lot of it comes with just like how I uh, like literally see things. So that being said, uh, when I moved to a certain place, this about five years ago, it was a small little river town upon the Susquehanna River. Um, I have a natural mental curiosity. And so it began with mental curiosity of looking at 
history. And I take history all with a huge grain of salt, but I do say this, this is at least the point of reference which we begin the investigation. This is what they told us. Like no matter how you want to look at it, whether it's all made up or just twisted, I recognize that, but this is my point of reference. So I begin by looking at the history of the Susquehanna and that led over to maybe like reading about the geology and all these different sort of things. And I began to notice um, over and over again um, uh, exemplary stories, like things which are just um, uh, what's the word is on the tip of my tongue right now, where something is just like, you know, to its extreme of wonderfulness. Like uh, I began seeing that in the history. I began seeing that in the geology and I began seeing it all around. And I'm like, this is central PA. Central PA doesn't have this, but I also have a point of of reference realizing like just because I've been told history, I recognize how consciousness is shaped and consciousness is shaped in a lot of different ways. And one is to look to look very, very much at this one thing. All eyes should go and look at this. And at the same time, consciousness is shaped in order to not look at something, to not look at what's hiding behind you. And so It is from that perspective that I eased into this landscape. It wasn't like I walked in and I was like, oh, I can sense and feel with my third eye lit up (laughs) that I'm on a vortex straight to the Pleiades. Nothing like that. It was and I like to use this analogy or um it's called the invisible ships and maybe you're familiar with it about how like natives were unable to go and and see the ships yeah, yeah. explore. So that story's told a lot, but if you flip that story around and you think about it from the perspective of like let's say the native and the person who's seeing what's all around them, how the story goes is no, they couldn't see the shape speak for, you know, for whatever reason. We're just going to go with this story for a little bit, not question its validity. But what they're suggesting is that someone who pays attention may not be able to see something right away, but if they pay attention to small anomalies in the background, and so the the the, the native people they began to see a, a change in the wave pattern of the water, and they're like, I've never seen this this slight small change in there, and they used they used uh, reverse engineering, deductive reasoning, to be like, oh well, if there's a change in the wave pattern, well, it would have been caused by something like this and it's from this direction and eventually they were able to get to what they needed to see um and i think maybe we'll come to this analogy again but but later on in the conversation but but what i want to bring up right now is the fact that that's what i've done to this area it was like i saw all of these things which i am familiar with i am familiar with history i am familiar with like secret societies i'm familiar with consciousness i'm familiar with all of this sort of stuff and all of these indicators were around and i i backed into it I backed into it and I and and this is going back to my blind spot. I'm like just because I can't see it from the way I've been positioned to understand it doesn't mean there's not something to look at. It's like if someone hands you a magic eye 3D artwork and if you can't see it but you know there's something there and you continue to stay with it. And so that's what I would say has been my journey with um 
both where I live and where I meet, you know, in my own life, the, 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 the land, you know, where my feet rest upon, but then also discovering a, um, a technique, if you will, an approach towards meeting uh, the mundane, particularly if you're seeing something and you don't think it's magical, well, then you're probably meeting it as if it were the mundane. And we can go and, and move through that, too, if, if, if you choose to. And I think now is an important time to do so. Yeah, <clears throat> there's a lot of things, you know, yeah, you're talking about, conditioning. Stop. <laughs> talking about conditioning and uh, the blind spot and, uh, you know, like, uh, the goggles that we are end up putting on as we um, grow up, you know, these polarized lenses, so to speak, right? And uh, our conditioning actually cuts out certain wavelengths so that we are unable to actually see it. I mean, and but if we are open, then we can do what you did, right? Where it's where we kind of back into it, right? Right, right, we're, right, right. We're and aware of something that, that's there, right? But then there's also the inverse of that, which is like something that's like really uh, important and magical and maybe more um, uh, intangible, right? So like these things that are important um, in these discussions in the truth community, you know, okay. um, uh, which is this conditioning, right? These blind, this blind spot is actually the huge part of what's going on, right? Because everyone... Okay. Uh, based on their upbringing, based on their uh, polarized lenses, they want to be in a group with other people who have lenses like theirs. You know what I mean? And so it's like this, uh, the conditioning is like your identity is like you, this is how you learn to identify yourself, right? And it is based on what we've gone through and what society basically presents to you, right? You know what I mean? So so you're really hitting on uh, like the stuff that goes on in my headspace when I'm when I'm on my own, like as opposed to like having a conversation with someone like yourself. And I think a lot about um, what it means to be human and the and what it means to have identity. And not so much like in terms of like a judgment way as much as it is like a nuts and bolts way. Like, well, what is identity? How does it work? And what is what are the effects by having identity? <clears throat> so, <clears throat> yeah, you're speaking my language. I want to hear where you're going to go with this. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and you're speaking my language, too, which is why I reached out to you, because I hear you speaking with Mark um, and with, you know, some other people, Hotep, for example. <laughs> and uh, I, and I just want to talk to you because I think that, that, that uh, we could actually get somewhere, you know. And so when I started this, uh, just when I started talking after you stopped there, I was going towards like where you were talking about how we can look at something and not be aware of it. And then over time, actually back into understanding what's going on there. Um. But I think there's something about this uh, on the inverse, too. There's these magical things, right? Okay. Right? That uh, everyone that's like, it seems like we're kind of like, uh, we say, yeah, that's great. But what is the practical application for me in my life? You know, which and that's this basically this thing, this stop protecting your psychological sense of self, which is this is your identity and your identity is built through your conditioning, mm -hmm. right? 
And this is what creates your blind spots. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if we're protecting our psychological sense of self, right, this is what all of the um, ancient uh, wise teachers were trying to tell us, right, was that identity is a problem because nothing is nothing lasts, right? We're in a constant state of flux. And so if you try to lock down who you are, you're on, it's only going to end up in violence, right? Uh, yes, I, I, I would. I, my personal opinion is I would just, you know, just because I'm a stickler for words. Um, I don't think identity is the problem as much as it is, is like uh, being blinded, being blinded to the, what identity is. Like if you're not attached to the identity, like you could put on identities. And as long as you recognize it's a costume. uh that is certainly uh, I don't think that necessarily comes with a danger. That's like, you know, just the that's that's a layer or an awareness of being of being human. Um, but I definitely recognize like identity comes with a whole bunch of um, unintended um consequences particularly when you when you believe your own bullshit as you said like it will always end in violence um and so if you if if you can learn if you can learn what the identity and i'm just going to call it a game what the identity game is um and the only way to learn that is to have your identity destroyed on a certain level because the only way to know what something is is which you've always had is you have to lose it because you don't know what it is until it's gone sort of thing. That's not, I mean, it's the same thing with gravity, like assuming gravity is a real thing, right? Because gravity is just a theory, but let's say there is such a thing as gravity. And it's like, what does it feel like? Like, I don't really know because supposedly I've always been underneath it, but the moment gravity goes away and then you come back to it, then you're like, okay, now I get it a little bit. Uh, the same is true with, with, with identity and we can lose our identity in so many different ways. Um, like in the normal, just, unfolding in life, you know, whether identity is tied to a job, like if you like have a powerful job and then you retire, like that's a hard shit for someone like, you know, or there's like relationship identity or all or, or like all the infinite ways. What I think is so interesting right now, um, the conversation which you and I are having, I believe has been held by human beings for, you know, a very long time. Uh, and it's really been only appealing to a small percentage of folks uh, because at the end of the day, it kind of goes to what you were suggesting is what's what's the payoff? Why is this worth? Why should I? Why do I care? What's the practical benefit? Well, this is why I think it why it's a different game right now. Um, outside of everyone's individual story, we live in controlled realities, whatever you want to call it. If you're born into a tribe, a culture, a civilization, what have you, and we are born into a civilization, let's say right now, and I'll just generally refer to that as globalism. And though our civilization isn't exactly collapsing, Everything which we know is changing. So, yes, there's a part which is collapsing, but it's collapsing so you can go to another place. So it's not like collapsing and going away. So that being said, one of the ways which is going to be so, in my opinion, to navigate this time. And what I mean by navigate is like knowing what to do, like how to make decisions is recognizing the role of identity. And so so 
uh, that is going to, I think, go both ways, which is one, because this is going, what's going on in this world is going to meet everyone in a different way. Like a lot of people like, yeah, I've been waiting for this for 20 years. And some people like this is, I can't believe this is happening. You know, and some people are like, there's nothing happening. This is going to go back to the way it, it's always been. There's all the, there's this continuum. So we all meet it in our own unique ways, but there's something happening. Um, where was I going to go with this? So, so as this, as this is, is collapsing, like some part of our identity of whatever it was that that has to go away and so there's part of that is going to be meet each person individually but what i think is also occurring what's also occurring is um this re-identification and so that could be like i certainly think there is a a very true and high path in which someone is like i'm beyond identification and to me and to me, what that means, if you are beyond identification to the, 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 the most that what speaks most to Mike is uh, you could just the you still have to ident identify with something. That's that's a, that's a little bit of a mishap to say that. But what I think you can say in its purest sense and its most uh, unamb unambiguous is uh, I identify with being alive. Whatever the hell that means, I'm alive. I'm not saying I'm God. I'm not saying I'm this because that comes with stories, but I can say I am alive. So it's like you can go to that or you could be like, no, I'm going to identify with something else. I'm part of like the survivors of the apocalypse. or I'm part of like this Stone Age farmers or I'm whatever it is like that's an identification like and we're at that time. And what I think going back to the beginning of the conversation, which was, hey, Mike, how'd you get into like looking at the land is, well, really what I think it is, is understanding how we recognize what we identify with and how to re-identify and all this sort of stuff. I think that that's an important skill set. Like it's a literal skill set. And when I go on shows, when I talk, it's not so much to imply that I have answers as much as it is. I want to demonstrate how I'm kind of figuring this out so that it inspires people to go and apply that in whatever the hell way they want to in their own world. And maybe we can identify a new world together. Like literally, like identify it out in the backyard. Like I can't believe that new world has been right there all along. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it's like, I'm going to like kind of begin with the end, you know, it's something that I do and I lose people. Right. But I, I'm going to start with uh, this idea about um, when you identify, it's in response to something external. Right. So it's like a polar relationship. Okay. And, and so when there's a polar relationship, one is defined by the other, right? So you can't have one without the other. So, right? So when you identify, automatically you have contradiction because you're 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 defined by what you're responding to, which mm -hmm. is something out there, right? Yes. And so you create this uh, polar relationship, right? And uh, and so it's gonna um, have a rhythm to it, right? That polar relationship, right? You could say that one position is the peak and the other position is the trough of okay. a wave, right? And so you can't have a peak of a wave without a trough, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? This is another polar relationship. And so it's like, and you mentioned the game. And so it's like, I think we have these, this original conditioning that no matter what level of understanding that we arrive at, you no, know, whatever plateau we come up on, right? then there's this new polarity that is actually based on a deeper condition 
that we never even ever consider might be wrong. You know what I mean? It's like, how is something that is false become true, Mike? Give me an example. <laughs> so something that is false becomes true if enough people agree on it. Agree yes, that it's yes, 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 yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. And this is how society I, fucking works. So I call that the uh, like in a general sense, these are false realities, but then false realities become like uh, the I think describing the same thing, I like to talk about, I say the inner world and the outer world, but those are those two polarities you're talking about. Like we have our own internal point of reference and whatever we're putting this awareness on, and it could be anything, anything that's external. Yeah. And then, and then you start believing. So go on. So go on. So I didn't mean to cut you off because you said you're starting with the end. Yeah. And so it's like this uh, dance of polarities. It's like, uh, and it's, Whenever you use words, you're going to end up in a place where there appears to be a contradiction. There has right? to be. There's no there way to, to get around it. Right? The moment you use a word, you begin a false reality. Yeah. And that's my whole thing is like, I don't think false realities are per se bad. It's I don't think identification is bad. It's just that when you don't recognize, when you think it's something other than what it's not, because yeah. that's the human experience is a false friggin' reality. But yeah, we have a, so a that there's truth to it. So the benign view is like saying that this somehow just is just how we are, that we develop models that are, you know, an approximation of what we think reality is based on our knowledge. Right. But it's not a complete model. Right. And so this is the false reality. Right. Is that we have these maps. Right. Of what we think reality is. But uh, <clears throat> it's not a complete picture. And but we're operating on that map, right? We're we're making our decisions based on the criteria that we started with, right? When we yes. drew, when we started drawing this map, and so, like, so what is the original meta verse, Mike? Like, so we have one being installed on us right now, but maybe 1.0 was installed thousands of years ago, and no matter what level we get to on our understanding, you know, like for you and I. And all of the people in the truth community, um, like we can see what's happening, right? And we know that it's wrong, right? There's something urgent, right, that needs to be done. But if we do something in response to it, we just give more power to what's being done to us, you know? So, uh, okay, can I respond to this for a little bit? Yeah, or what yeah, my yeah. thoughts are. So, uh, so language is so important. So, and and again, like we understand language, the very the very fact that we start talking, we're limiting. But if we don't talk, we just sit in silence. And you can even say you can even say, well, maybe that's better. We just sit in silence. And OK, I agree with that. But that being said, if we just sit in silence on Skype, ain't no one going to be watching. And I don't like sitting in front of the computer. So, OK, <laughs> um, so I've got this little thing uh, like I like in my frame. And all it is is like a, a framework is like I like to think of um, false reality, baseline reality and the greater reality. And all it is is the model which I use to describe the indescribable. So the false reality, false reality is all the stuff you're talking about, everything you identify with. It's all the things that come from being human, every story, every language, every idea. But this is the definition, my definition of what a false reality is. A false reality is something that no, that will only exist because people are feeding it. Okay. Yes. And yes. so everything. So to what you were saying right now and what you're describing is a false reality and we can, and false reality has a lot of implications. Uh, and the solution to every false reality, if you want it to die, is you don't feed it. 
That's that's the way how I see it. You're absolutely right. Now, (laughs) asking the question about where does the first meta begin? I think that's a great question, but I don't think that's a question that at least for how I'm human, uh, can be understood. Like, um, that's outside of the human experience. I call that the greater reality. And the greater reality is my, is my kind of, um, uh, uh, easy out for like all of these really good questions we don't have answers for. It's like, I don't know them and, and I can't answer them. They'll just be kind of like, you know, interesting, philosophical. And I like to be a little bit practical. And my practicality comes from the fact that I'm experiencing life from a body. So I'm not saying like the body is the most important thing, but I'm saying it's my strongest point of reference. I'm trying to, to, to blend both of them. Um, so as, as we look at, uh, all of the things which you you just laid out for me, the conclusion comes to is like, well, all right, well, if I'm here, but I don't know where here is, I don't know how I got here, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Um, at least I could recognize how it works. And as you described that, how do these lies become true? That seems to be the truth of this experience. That whatever you put your awareness on, it will become true. Yeah, we become and then using we, that we with with greater with greater purpose. Mm-hmm. That's and that's what I think this time and is is at least it's going to be an important ability or skill set to fall back upon as you meet experiences you have not been predictively programmed to have. Yeah, and so this is the only way that new things can come into being, right? This is now how we do not uh, uh, repeat the pattern, you know, or at least recognize a pattern, and then, yeah. and then have a different perspective. You can only, and it's kind of like you know what you're saying. Like you're, you, you, I keep on trying to pull it back into like you know being human and the point of the perspective of being the the person. And and you're set, and I keep getting from you this feeling of like, but there's something bigger than just this this myopic. Uh, I think there's that's the dance. To me, that's the dance. It's both. It's yeah. the particle and the wave. Right. It's the individual and the collective. Right. It's the <laughs> it's more the, polarities. We're all together we're all individual and uh, all together. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, but I was hearing what you're saying, and I agree. You know, um, we are alive, right? So there's the physical problem. But putting that aside for a second, right? So it's like so when you say it's a larger reality, right? So when I say original meta i don't mean like we could say we don't know what this universe is right correct this is what you were just saying like there's no way to really say it's unfathomable right but um we can actually use our imagination to conjecturize right (laughs) yeah right and so um getting a few clues from the ancients with the the cosmology of the pre-dynastic Egyptians, right? Okay. This is basically um, the flower of life thing, right? Which is that before there was anything, there was awareness, right? And so again, like here's that new, another polarity, which is nothing and something, right? Right. You can't have something without nothing because it has to have something, you know, a reference, right? right? Right. So right. the original it's, it's, something. Yes, we need points of reference. Yes. So the original is a triangulation, right? The original something. What I'm getting at is that there's a beginning 
hypothetically, there's a beginning to this universe, right? This is the larger reality you were discussing, right? And so it plays out in a dance of polarities. This is how, when we look out into the universe, we can see the passage of time, right? All of the different polarities that exist in the natural universe, right? So for example, you know, a, a positive and negative charge, right? Light and dark, you know, all that mm -hmm. stuff, right? These are all polarities that cannot, individually, they cannot exist, right? So something has to be in a soup of nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, right. You can't define one without the other. So the larger reality is a dance of polarities, right? But how something becomes, uh, something that is false becomes true is, is this collective consciousness idea, right? Which is that we're basically, because we're a society, we're social creatures, we, inter we live by providing value to each other in an exchange, right? So what I'm saying is, is that that's right. This is like whatever we agree on uh, collectively becomes operatively true in the operation of society, right? And so maybe- Say that again, Say that again slowly, please. Whatever we- whatever the majority agrees on, right, mm -hmm. um, becomes operatively true in the interactions of society, right, which is the the way we relate to each other. Right. right? Like our financial system. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for... We all agree that, that this you is... You know what we're talking about the other day. It's like, it's, it's money is fake, but we all agree to use it as an exchange uh, medium. Right. So, but what I'm getting at is that, that there may be a deeper uh, condition Right. So I think what I heard Hotep was saying, and you were talking about this a little earlier, is that some people think that right now we got something really bad is happening and we have to take action in order to prevent it from happening. Other things are like, this is just how it goes. Right. This is just right. We're just just live your life, have a good life and it'll all work itself out in time. Right. Or something like that. And uh, <clears throat> but uh, what I'm getting at here is, is the original conditions like are we. Is the human condition uh, natural or is it a condition? I mean, it has a, the word condition, so it's actually something that is um, removable, right? That so when is you say the human condition, what do you mean by that? This is what, like, so we all think that the way that we relate to each other, the way that, that society plays out is just the way it is. Like, it's just natural, right? Oh, I don't buy, I don't believe that at so, all. So, yeah, what I'm saying is that there's an original lie right, that we all agreed to originally thousands and thousands of years ago. And we're all are still operating on that lie, right, which is this like these initial conditions that society runs on. And then over time, it, it continues the same pattern, right? You know what a fractal is, right? Yeah. Right. So the universe exhibits a fractal uh, behavior, holofractal behavior. It's a self-repeating pattern, right? It has a beginning and it self-iterates. Basically, the output basically is put back into the input and you get this pattern, a self-repeating pattern. So, but it's all based on the initial conditions, right? So if we have society after the, uh, the melting of the glaciers, after the cataclysm, right? It's a reset. That is a fucking great reset right there, right? And then we all start operating on this new um, lie. Right. Which is basically that uh, the scarcity model of value, you know, and so I risk when I say something like that, like when I say scarcity model of value, 
right? We've all talked about this before, right? So it's like, we've tread this path before. So it's like, I risk basically, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. It's like, let's just move on. But actually, this is how, this is the original problem, is that there's not enough life to go around. This is what we are agreeing with. This is what uh, the um, how society, the relationship of society is operating on these initial conditions, which is there's not enough life to go around. And so I got to get mine before someone else takes takes it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, this is a massive, massive uh, um, contradiction, right? Because as social creatures, we live by exchanging value with each other. So we're dependent on each other, yet at the same time, we're afraid of others taking what we think is rightfully ours, right? Which is life. And so the, what I'm trying to say is that, that there's this deeper initial condition that we are all operating on, that no matter what fucking understanding we get to, like for you and I, I think we understand a lot of shit, right? And a lot of, you know, and these younger people too, like Mark too, like, fuck, man, I'm surprised really that how much he's fucking got it. You know what I mean? And he's only 28, right? So, but uh, what I'm getting at is that there could be this original lie, which is that um, somehow uh, the rhythm of the artificial rhythm, this false reality that you talk about, Mike, right, is run on this uh, initial condition right and then as long as we hold this as true then we won't be able to change the pattern we will be continuing to repeat the pattern right and so if we look back in history it's basically groundhog day technology gets more advanced but our psychological state stays the same which is that we're in competition with each other what do you think about that so so yeah there's a lot there, there's a lot to 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 respond to um and 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 definitely um in just the most general sense, what you're talking about, like the original lie, um, in my language, I like to call that ball consciousness. I think that's ball consciousness. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and and I, we could we could go down that that line of thought in a moment, but I wanted to bring this out too. Like this is the way how I see things. So this is, uh, and I asked you, I'm like, well, what do you mean by the human condition? And you defined that from the perspective of how human beings related to each other and how we're, how are social creatures. And when I look at, 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 and again, like anytime we have a question or whatever, this is why we define the question. So we understand where the person's coming from, because they can come from lots and lots of different ways. And just because you come from a different way is not in competition with the ways that's more ball consciousness. My way is right. Your way is wrong. But what we're doing is we're looking around it. So I look at the what we'll say the human condition from a little bit more generic. So what I think is universally true about the human being. And what I would say is that is that we are adaptable. We literally become whatever we're around. So as you say, like as you bring up like the original lie, you know, this this scarcity model, which I agree with you, is not an is not a factual truth, but it is this uh, reconditioning and of the uh, or the repattering of the same like under underlying belief system. And that's why I said earlier, it's like, yeah, they're one 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 type of civilization is being brought down, but then a new one is being offered. But it's going to be the exact same thing. What I mean yes. by the exact same thing is yes. it's that lie which you're talking about. 
So, so yes, but I think the more true of being the human being is the fact that whatever we're around, we're going to be. So, so whether it's that lie or whether it's something else, like that is true. Like that is the nature of the human being. The human being was, is, is built within us. You take any human being at one day old and you put it in any household it will speak that language without flashcards. We become everything around us. So that is the nature of being human. Here's another thing which I think is very interesting too. And, and there's an idea and, and just, which kind of plays into it. I, I don't think much, but the whole idea of like the, the reason we have a split in the brain. And I think that kind of plays in, but, but, but I'm not going too far. I'm not going past that. I just want to say is this is how we are right now. Here's the other thing which I think is very, very uh, suspect slash interesting about the human being is the very nature of how the subconscious influences the conscious mind. Like if you literally think like it doesn't matter how you want to get around to it. We can if we can come to an agreement that that's how the human being works. And if you've ever caught yourself like uh, looking at something which you did and remembering what your conscious decision making was. And then you're like, fuck, I wasn't like I was just telling myself a lie. I was telling and because it's real easy to see it when someone else is doing it. It's a little bit trickier and a little bit more humble pie. But once you go and you experience that, then you know that there's a truth to the fact that, yeah, the subconscious influences the conscious mind. So then the question is, who would set up that system? Is that, are you telling me that's the natural evolutionary? Like, I don't necessarily, I think that, that there's a, there's always change in biological life, but I don't know if I necessarily go with the whole evolutionary theory, but let's just kind of go with that for a moment. It's like, are you telling me that it was in the best survival interest of becoming a human being was so that we would have this? And if so, like walk me through why that serves us. Or if you want to say, oh no, we were controlled. We were invented by, 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 uh, by the Anunnaki and they put this back door into our consciousness so they could always influence us and we don't know. Like, okay, that kind of makes sense. Or the fact is like, oh yeah, we are already avatars and this is how you upload the, the back door. You know, all of those kind of, like you can make an interesting story where all of it makes sense. I don't really, I don't think I can answer the, the story question. All I can say is I know that that's part of being human. I know that that being human, we adapt to everything we don't understand. And so because of that, for me, it gets a little bit easier to then go and make decisions as to like, well, if this is what I'm working with, and I think it it, it overlaps very much to what you're saying about these original lies. If you can go and, and I have a practice, which I call rewilding consciousness yeah, yeah, yeah. and it is exactly what it is it is the conclusion of a of of a practice and the practice i'm describing you're like oh yeah this is in all the ancient texts but like what the cool thing is when you when you discover it discover it you know i'm not saying i discovered it but when it feels authentic to me when i'm not like doing it because i read it in a book but when i realize oh this is the most logical way to conduct myself based upon my experience um, it is this this recognition of of okay, I've got this blind spot. I know that I'm highly adaptable. I know or, uh, to whatever I was put into. I know that there could be all sorts of things going on beyond my conscious mind that I don't know who, what, where, when got there. Um, so the, the 
there, there's a degree, it's a thin line where you should question yourself because you don't know. Not question yourself to go paranoid, but question yourself to be legit. And rewilding consciousness is the act of utilizing conscious thought in a way which might be outside of any of the conditioning, but not going to a complete like open, clear mind where it's like, I want to think of nothing. No, I'm going to think, but I'm going to think outside of some of the confines. Um, and to me, that is an approach for this time. And then also dealing with what you're saying, the scarcity model. I've got a story which I tell myself, which counters that scarcity model. And I kind of think part of my life right now is testing these hypotheses to be true. And what does that mean? It means like there is no, if you can bring, if you can have a connection outside of the human experience, um, there's a way to pull in all of everything you need outside of this polarity in which we're experiencing life. I mean, we're getting into some really weird stuff and I'm not saying anyone else necessarily follow this, but this is what I think is the only way you could ever actually get out of the scarcity model. But that's, that's my opinion. I know I'm being vague right now. I'm going to allow you to ask me questions and stop right now. No, I agree. Uh, I mean, I hear you talk about this rewilding of consciousness and I'm like, yeah, um, that's exactly it. But it's, uh, there, I mean, there's no but, right? <laughs> there's no but. There, there's it's, no uh, but because if you don't have a but right now, you're going to be left with the choice of either um, of either going into a techno fascist meta metaverse uh, uh, health fascism sort of world, or you're going to go and you're going to with all of your brothers and sisters, you're going to gather your arms and you're going to topple this tyranny. So then you could go back and create your own central banking system. Like it's like when, when that is not an option, when other choices choices you're given are not there. You have to begin. So let, let, so today, before we got in this call, this is what I was doing. And this is like one of many examples. Like this is my own personal thing. And I'll tell you what I did and why I think I'm doing it. I was out taking a little bit of a hike and right by my house. And I was along this, uh, this, uh, the Conestoga river. And I've talked about that a lot before. And the weather is unseasonably warm right now for probably a variety of reasons you do folks. Um, but nonetheless, I went outside and I was, um, what was really nice is I could enjoy the, the temperature and you don't have foliage. So I've got like the visual kind of, you get to see things you normally don't get to see when there's tree leaves on the tree and so forth. And I'm looking at the water and I have the way the water is right now, there's a really nice reflection where I can see, you know, the as above reflected on, on the, uh, on the water. And I start just kind of like easing into that. And I'm meeting it with a very, very like rational, like logical mind, that part of my thinking consciousness, but I'm also meeting it uh, or trying to do my best uh, meeting it in a way, which is a little bit outside of how we've been conditioned to see it. So by just by noticing all of the different substances that make up our physical world, you know, oh, you've got a tree and not defining it as a tree, but I'm using it. So, you know, what I'm talking about and just think about like what tr like the variety of all of the different trees can be like what wood feels like in your hand and what bark feels like and what oak feels like versus like, you know, a weeping willow branch. And it's like that's a continuum of textures as is grass, as is smoke, as is water. 
And so I'm looking at this water and I'm thinking, I'm like, what I know from how I've been conditioned is that the that my angle and the light is hitting this water in such a way that it is creating this reflective surface. And certainly there's a truth to that. But then like trying to move out of that and get to this spot of, well, this is a substance of all of these natural substances, these trees and these leaves and this smoke. This is pretty much the only thing which I know that has a reflective quality. And then just like like studying it. I'm like, there's no reflection deep in the water. The reflection's only on the top of the water. Get out of my head for why it's light. Don't think light. Just say, what are you looking at? And just getting more and more and more like describing in my mind. The fact that I'm using words I recognize I'm in false reality, but I'm trying to find this, this balance point of being able to describe what I've seen my entire life in the most accurate way without then going into story. And I'm doing this for one reason only, not to discover it, but to train myself to be able to see things as they are and then want to go and eventually approach it in a way I've never been able to see it before. That to me is a rewilding consciousness. It's fun to do. It like is intellectually interesting and you know why you're doing it. And it's outside of like the, the little mental masturbation element, which is, which is part of it. Yeah, no, I love it. Uh, that's it right there, man. Um, that's what you do. I, the, uh, you're going to observe without measurement, right? Yeah, well, yeah. So this is the thing. I keep going back to this. This is Mike's way of doing it. I kind of like the measure, but I recognize what the measure is. And if anything else, what I'm kind of interested in is this. I want to be able to measure in a different way. Like, like that's the sort of thing, because what what I do think is true about part of this human experience is there is, and this is, you know, we get into kind of like woo-woo and there's a there, there's baggage with woo-woo, but I also think that woo-woo points to some real truths and th there is a very, very strong correlation between uh, where, uh, how we define where we put our awareness and then what life becomes. And a lot of what I think is empowering right now is questioning what, how we've come up with our definitions. And I just went through a process of like trying to strip away like scientific definitions of what I was looking at in the physical world. But that being said, um, I, I think that, that if I can, what I'm what at this time, and I think it's a necessity in order to see so you know other invisible ships, not just the invisible ship of the colonists who are coming to be like, surprise, yeah, we'll trade with you for a bit, and now we're gonna take everything you got. Um, if that's not the experience, and that's not the experience which which I wish to be an active participant in on this experience of being in a body on this thing which we call Earth. Well, I want to redefine how I measure. And my sense is there is there is an anomaly. There is an anomaly in the physical world, which is the reflection, the reflection of of life on the top of water. I'm not going to go any further with that, but just like what we said with the Susquehanna River, it's like I'm just beginning with an awareness um, of, of that there's something more going on. And it is this type of approach, this type of new measurement, which, which 
going to the the conversation where we talked about identity, it is recognizing how, at least for Mike, you know, this is Mike's journey, uh, uh, at least for Mike, that how I have measured what the natural world is and its capabilities and and all of that, like I'm I'm questioning it all and I'm seeing what can actually bend you know, to my flexibility, to accepting where it is that I am having, you know, I'm living my life. Yeah. Have you uh, heard of general semantics? General semantics. No. Tell, walk me through that. So it's a Polish philosopher. Slipping my mind his name right now, but it's uh, <clears throat> something that I've been, I discovered a while back. I think I discovered it from uh, Bucky Fuller. Okay. Because uh, Buck, Bucky's one of my kind of, you know, uh, heroes, you know. But okay, so general semantics. This is what I was mentioning a little bit before. Basically, the tenet behind it is the word is not the thing. The map is not the territory. Correct. Right? This is the main thing behind this uh, thing, which is basically is like, um, just look at everything. Don't use the word is, basically. That's like mm -hmm. the rule of thumb for this. Like, just say, this is how it appears to be, or this is how it seems to be for the moment. And so if you don't make a declaration, then you can actually learn something new because you're not basically giving yourself a blind spot by saying, this is how it is. This is what it is. Right. Yeah. It, 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 exactly. I think it's uh, it's also, is it called like uh, E-prime language or something like that, where you're purposefully uh, understanding that the very thing... Uh, Using language and avoiding the is, but recognizing that the language programs the experience. So you're very, very thoughtful with it. Yeah. And so we are where we are, right? Like we've lived this long living how we are as human beings. And uh, so we can't just stop thinking and we can't abandon our technical know-how. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So you're saying don't just we can't just remove the individual. It's like perhaps the human being is just at the cusp of being able to be individual and collective at the at once instead of either one or the other. So I like to think about that, like what would happen if you were. One hundred percent self-supportive. And what I mean, and what I mean by that isn't like, oh, I could go out and take care of myself in the woods and all that. No, I mean, literally, like you don't need food. You don't need shelter. You don't need any of that because somehow like uh, you are able you have enough awareness over your physical body that in the same way, like. Plants don't need to go to the grocery store. They just somehow are able to live with sun and water. Like, you know, the same thing is with us. Like, regardless of like, just work with me, we go there. Um, what, how, how would you interact with other people? And everyone else was the same way. And everyone yeah. else was the same. And so I, I, I say that kind of like rhetorically because if that. You're removing the selfish motivation. And right. then you're the, removing the selfish motivation. So then what happens between people? Yeah. And I think it changes entirely. Yeah. And I think this is what I'm saying. And this is what you're saying about rewilding consciousness, removing the conditioning. If you remove the conditioning, then the way we relate to each other has a whole new set of uh, um, um, 
the initial conditions are different basically right. the initial conditions right. are basically exactly the initial i'm not making i'm making decisions based on what is good for everyone not just for me and this is something that i've talked about before too it's like this lie right that we all agree on that it it colors our our relationships right and it is it has brought us to where we are today as as the human race right um it's almost like it's uh you know it's like I was saying before, it's a fractal. You basically put in the initial conditions, right? You run it and you take the output and you put it back in, right? And it creates this pattern, right? This self-repeating pattern. I mean, that's right? the definition, one of the definitions of the word meta, like that self-reflective yes. sort of thing. Like that. that's kind of like- It's a that, world on top of a world. It's a construct- On top of a world, on top of a world. And then, you, yeah. and then what happens when you recognize that and like how to work with it, right? Like, well, I think, like, I have it, the moment you see me no longer needing food, but I think that the, the deconstruction of it can't just be an idea. It has to be an embodiment. And that's an easier thing said than done. But well, that's do it together. Like, clues all around us. We can, I mean, we can do it individually. <laughs> uh, I think as know, soon as you see one person do it, like, as an individual. Okay, so, this is where I disagree, right? It's goes, okay, it's tell me. If, if then statement, like, so if we do this, then it'll slowly transmute to the way we, it should be, right? Oh, I'm not saying that. I don't think there's this, a way it should be. I think that it's, like you live, it's like Hotep was saying, he's like, you lead by example. It's like, I'm going to kill it and I'm going to make wild stacks and I'm going to show other people how to do it, right? You know what I mean? It's just kind of like... Um, I figured out how to play in this game. There's nothing I can do to stop it except to live, right? I mean, he's right. I think he's really right in a lot of ways, but I think that he still is running off of this initial idea, which is that make sure you're good first, you know? Like, how are you going to make a better world if you're dead, you know? <laughs> so I don't think being alive or dead matters. And so yeah. that that colors but my perspective. Say that how how are we going to remove the selfish motivation, which is the basically say that we don't need because we're alive, we need certain things in order to stay alive, right? And this kind of is this what you were getting at is that this is why people make decisions out of self interest is to make sure that they and their kin are make it right. Um, so it's me I, first. Fuck all y'all. <laughs> So I think I think it's more complex because um, and this goes back to I think that I think the human being tends to be a little bit more neutral than than predisposed. And so a lot of the self-interest is just like culturally taught um, and then experientially pro proven to be true. Um, and I think that a, a more accurate description of the human experience is to be a little bit more neutral and that, and that neutrality means you can go any way. That's why we're so adaptable. It's not that one language is more superior than another language. It's just like, we are meant to be whatever this, this, whatever it means to be in a human body on this land, which we call earth. Like the, the thing, which is true is that wherever you find yourself first, you're going to that's going to be your point of reference on how to be. And we are in more or less like a, 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 a global agreement on like kind of we reward scarcity. Um, that's what my, my interest value, is, 
right? Yeah. Demand increases, right? Demand on the on a limited supply increases value, right? Demand on a uh uh well increases the value of the supply. It's like you need to eat. You need to eat. <laughs> um if you were to get to a point, if you like when I say you, I mean every individual, because I think it's more of it from my perspective, I think that the individual experience is takes precedence over community experience. I don't think that, I think that we've become community people, but we don't have to be community people, I suppose. Like, I don't think that that's natural to being, to being human. Like we, we, we've learned that. Um, and so part of like the me first thing, which you're talking about, I think there is kind of a truth to that outside of the scarcity model. There's a truth to that, but I can see how it fits in what you're describing. Sounds like that truth being fit into a scarcity mindset, which I agree with, but I think there's also something outside of it. Uh, uh, because, because it is first and foremost, you know, your experience is from your perspective. Uh, and that's the nature of being human. And I don't think being a human is a mistake. So then, so then I'm like, okay, that's how this is meant to at least be experienced. Mm -hmm. Not to say that there's not more, but this is my point of reference. And my point of reference is by inherent a little bit selfish, but then you realize like, but there is no selfish, like the whole thing of what you're saying, but, but like, that's the dance, or at least that's what I find is interesting about the dance. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess, the urgency of change like okay so some people don't think some people think what we're going through is just just ha what happened right this is what i was getting at before there's like the reason the way our relationships in society play out the way they do is because of just how we are right this is how we are naturally and that we'll never get away from these types of interactions right and so it's on aggregate we see what's happening right so not everyone is like this Right. But if it's on average, generally the the pattern runs. Right. It just keeps going. And that's why game theory works to make predictions. Right. Because all of those little nodes in the game theory, right, in the program that they've created, uh, operate on certain things. Right. And so if on aggregate, everyone's operating on um, the same initial conditions, then you're going to get the same pattern developing over and over and over again. Right. And that pattern for me, the urgency is, is that I think that this pattern has a limit. Right. I don't think this is just going to keep going on, you know, and even if it did. Right. Then there would be a large, massive loss of life in order to keep this same system going. Right. That's what I think partially is like the elite is trying to do is that they know it's they can't continue this top down cabal system unless they shrink it, <laughs> you know. That makes and so, sense. That and it's makes also, sense. and it's maintaining this original lie too, which is that everyone else is a danger to you, which is absurd, right? We are fucking social creatures. To operate like everyone is a threat to you, that is like the penultimate of what we're talking about here, mm -hmm. which is that, and, and it doesn't even make sense. We've got at least 6,000 years of operating in this manner, right? And because we've been doing that, we, every radical innovation, every generation, right, becomes more interdependent. The technology forces interdependence, while at the same time, it's fracturing us and individualizing us and atomizing us to the nth degree. So we're more interdependent and we act like we're more individual. 
right? That uh, it's almost like this libertarian thing. Like what you were talking about with self-sufficiency, it's like the, the only way really to be self-sufficient is to not have to eat because we all rely on each other. There's no fucking way around it, right? There, that's just what the way it is. You know what I mean? Like, do you want to step in here for a second? C certainly. So, um, so yeah, no, yeah. I was in, I was enjoying uh, listening to to you go. So, um, <laughs> I, the, this, this is an interesting line about the not eating. The not eating thing I find very and and right now it's it's a little bit a little bit on. Um, just the mental plane and a little bit on terms of like practical practice um because you said it yourself like as soon as you no longer when the human being eats they are in a certain cycle which is about this um something dies in order to support something else and there's a truth to that on our material reality right like you know you got the lion and it eats the this and it, yeah, you know, circle that, life. yeah and, and 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 whether or not you want to look at it through a carnivore perspective it's it's just as true with 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 plants like you know you ask anyone who follows the carnivore diet and they start explaining to you how much the plant the plant kingdom hates human beings they hate human beings eating them even more than the animals hate us eating them and then you realize like well what happens if if nothing wants us to eat it like you know what happens if we're out of that eating cycle in every way um if you are out of the eating cycle, and again, this is like theory right now, like it is a complete, the you, you have a different experience in every way. You're no longer part of that, like the, the chain of life. You're no longer part of, I need survival and like, you know, the, the, the resources. And, and the reason why I use the, you know, the, the plants and the sun, I'm like, at least there's a, there's a somewhat precedent that life on earth can, can, can occur without having to put stuff in the mouth. But anyway, um, where, where was I going with this? So, so, so much of what you're talking about, particularly this ongoing cycle of a small group of people who are setting the stage for how the masses live and understand reality and how it just keeps on repeating itself. And I think, I think you're, you're right in the fact about like the, the uh, it's easier to manage it when it's small. And there seems to be a story of, you know, this is the procession of the equinoxes or the platonic year of like, you know, these different ages, at least from a Western perspective of being managed to, to like a 2000 year period to meet uh, the criteria of the zodiac story of life. Um, there are people that, that that do that. When you begin to look at the history, we're told you can see that that that's happened. And and if you want to step out of that, um, you I think that you have to figure out past that first lie. And I think the first lie has to do with food. It has to do with how we fit with the environment. And then once that first lie is both sold and then experienced, then it becomes a truth. And then it's replicated over and over again. Um, for whatever reason, that seems to be the setup. Like I'm yes. open to the idea of like, you know, dojo earth. Like we come here to learn a lesson. Well, what would the lesson be? This. How to get out of it like that would make sense or like whatever the 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 point is like um 
I think that is just one level of the ball game, and I'm interested in one level outside of it. Um, there are people who see what we're saying and they try to to write themselves within the system. And to me, that's limiting. That is that is kicking the can down the road. That is what a revolution is. I'm just turning the wheel. The people on the bottom are now on the top. And when the next revolution comes around, that's that's the revolution. Um, And is that endless? I don't think it is. I think it has a limit and we're reaching it like we're getting there. We're well, I, we'll see. Uh, I th- my sense is it seems to keep going round and round and round until you get out of it, until you can move past the first lot. Right. But is it you individual or us together? Because I don't know. <laughs> we can, like, OK, so <laughs> the whole idea, I have this joke, right? Like 20 fucking years ago, I was like, I'm an old soul because I can see that this is bullshit. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I'm like, now I'm just like, if you're taking it as like this is a earth dojo then uh right then you flunk in fourth grade over and over and over again if you're an old soul you know what i mean and so you just flip that narrative right away like i love what you just did because there is an implication in the semantics that being an old soul is a badge of honor yeah. Right. It's like, oh, you're that old guy saying, trying like, to give all of these other kids, tri- you know, tips. And it's like, who's that weird old dude in our class who keeps telling me how to do stuff? <laughs> you're absolutely. So, I mean, it, that's why I like to go back. Like, it is what it is right now. It is what it is. Um, and and to your point, your question is, is this individually and collective? I'm like, well, I guess we're going to go and find out. Um, what I have noticed, though, is the more other people, the more other people go and try to convince other people on how they're wrong, then the more they're separated. I don't yeah. care what side of that argument you are, that I don't think that that is the that is the solution, the collective. I mentioned this a little bit earlier and I got the sense like you you recoiled a little bit. So I want to be a little bit more clear with what what I'm saying is um when I believe if someone is to demonstrate something. So one of the reasons why the first lie, the original lie is being believed so easily is because the experience which we have um, uh, validates it. It's we self-referencing If yeah. someone could go and demonstrate something outside of that first law at that original lie. That's what I mean by then people are yeah. able to move out of it. Um, and that to me is not like within the circle of like, I'm doing what's right for me. If anything, it's like, let, th- this is the nature of reality. This is the nature outside of Plato's cave. This is the nature out of Plato's platonic year, the never ending story. Um, that, that, that's what, that's what, uh, that's what, what, what excites me. That is a possibility. And that to me, for whatever this is worth, like that feels more true than any of the other bullshit, which you're trying to tell me life is about. Um, wait, clarify that again. That last statement. Yeah, that last statement. <laughs> um, the idea that we 
that a purpose for life could be figuring out, uh, finding your way outside of, of this and part of this. And that, and what I mean by that statement is dovetails exactly with when we're talking about identification, you can only understand what identification is until you've lost an identification. You can understand, you can only understand the nature of belief until you have been um, mad, until the magic of belief has showed itself. And then also to leave all of these things. So what, what I was saying is that that practice, that searching for how to move out of the human condition, the false human condition, to me, that makes a lot of sense for like, well, why am I here? That makes more sense to like, I'm here for survival or I'm here for like, you know, to maximize my enjoyment or I'm here to maximize because all of those things just continue, I guess, maybe to support the school. If we want to go with the school metaphor, the dojo metaphor, um, but I find much more interesting is then how to go and learn the lessons of it to get out of it. Yeah. Um, In fact, hold on. Let, let, let me go show you this. So can you see this? Can you uh, make out what you're looking at? Uh, someone has escaped the maze and is ascending. <laughs> So yeah, so this is so this is a piece of art. It's collage work. I made this in 2011. Mm. Okay, um, I there was a period in my life where all I did was I just woke up one day and I just started making these like really really uh, um, like these big collages. This would be a collage. It's painting paper. I just cut paper and glued it on. This is a rather small one. It's 12 by by 15 by 24. But nonetheless. Um, Th that this thing is exactly what 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 we're what I was just describing. Um, whereas this maze is whatever this maze is, but it, it's it's characterized by right angles and walls in a maze, and then there is this this different type of of line. And it's not to say that that spirals are awesome and rectangles are bad, though certainly you could make that <laughs> argument. But it's more so is like one begets to another. And in this character's hand, who where this is on just a plane, the plane represents just like one way of being. This is like going up and around. That's a different way. And in the hand is is like, uh, I don't know if you can see that right there. But in the hand is a, uh, a compass, if you will. Same colors as the maze, but now it's in a circle. Um you know, like that really makes the most amount of sense to me. So when I talk about this, like I, I'm coming from that perspective. I'm not saying it's the right perspective. I'm saying this is Mike's perspective. And I've been like meeting life from that, uh, from this perspective in a certain way. And it it, it seems to me right now, uh, it allows, <laughs> it allows me to meet a lot of this shit a whole lot easier than I see other folks meeting it. Yeah, no, and I'm, um, I have a few things, but, uh, like, I don't, I'm not into belief, right? <laughs> I think belief is actually a problem because. All right, walk me through that. If this is part of the, the polarized lenses. Basically, your belief structure, your belief system, your worldview are the way, is the how you see the world. Correct. You know? And that will become your, you are, what you're looking for, you will find. 
Yeah, exactly. And so and that, that's that whole preconceived notions thing. You know, it's like science can operate in that way, right? Whereas like if you, and this is what I was talking about before, if you make a declaration of how this is how it is, then that's what you're going to be looking for. And so you won't be able to learn. And another thing that I agree with you about is, is that our nature is to adapt. Uh, I would say our nature is to learn, right? This is the nature of, of a human being is to learn. Right. And so we haven't, <laughs> we haven't learned, right. We've been continuing the same fucking mistake over and over and over and over again. And, uh, so when you say that it's like, this is a school or like, this is like an exercise for our soul in order to, in order to be like, what, what, what is I didn't it? Say what does that. it do? So I just want to be well, clear. Is, I did well, not maybe, say those words, but. Well, okay. So yeah, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, it's another way to say it. It's like, we're not our bodies, right? We're operating our bodies. This is a virtual thing because we are something that is inside of our body. We're not our body itself. The idea that we are our bodies is, you know, that that makes us want to preserve it in a way that makes it that's all or nothing, right? We're no, connected to our bodies. Yeah, no, I mean, in a very I'm personal way. In a very personal part, way. I, I do Qigong for the last 12 years, you know, and so one thing I say is that the body is to the bridge to the unseen, you know? So just to just to 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 clarify my perspective on what what, what you just said, uh, because I think it, I'm a man of subtleties. Um, Me too. <laughs> so as I said, with beliefs and identities, and they're very very similar, is when you recognize what they are and how they work. If you've come to that to that level of the blind spot. Like, oh, there's a belief. Beliefs are all a bunch of bullshit, but they work. So the well, question is, be, be careful with what you believe. And so then that is the pe that's the fortune cookie advice. Be careful what you believe. So then the question becomes, what do you choose to believe? Well, you could say, I'm going to go and try to create an internal perspective where I'm going to have no beliefs because I know beliefs are, are limiting. Or you come to the fact like, oh, part of being human is belief. So I'm going to choose a belief. I'm going to choose a belief into the experience I want to have. It is my opinion that, that those two approaches are not in competition with one another, but those are approaches to how you want to live your life based upon someone who has gone through a graduation of understanding to say, oh, this is how that works. And I could choose to shed it or I could choose to keep it, but I understand why I'm keeping it. So when I talk about beliefs, there are certain things which I do believe and I choose to believe it. I've got no reason to know. I believe that the human being has more in common with a tree than it does almost anything on earth. That's Mike's belief. And I've got all these reasons why and what that means. So I may drop that belief, but I understand that it's a belief and I devise that belief and I know how I got there. But I certainly respect people who, um, I, 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 I don't think it's, I, I say this a lot. This is the way Mike does it. I'm not saying I'm, this is the way to do it as much as I'm saying, this is the, this is what I do. Why, how I came to this conclusion and is with, with as much clarity as I can try to do so. So I want to be certain, like, I'm not like supportive of belief structures as much as I am like recognizing what they are. 
Yeah. Um, it's a, like, yeah, we, we're treading on a, you know, a, um, a very small surface, right. When we're talking about this, right. It's gotta be, we gotta keep our balance, you know? And, uh, so it's hard to talk about. It's a, it's, a, it's ambiguous for sure. You know, certainly. And that's why I think these conversations are, are, are interesting. And so, um, uh, the as you yes 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 so so i think we're on the on the same page and what i think is fun is hearing how people have um i don't know if i agree with anything about souls i like that idea and so to me that's a belief and i choose to say you know what i kind of like that i like the idea that there's something eternal i don't know for certain it feels very true to me I yes. also know that I've had a lot of other things that have felt very true to me and they turned out not to be true. <laughs> so I know that just because I feel it to be true. And I don't think that's, that means I dismiss all of my feelings. It means that I just bring a little bit of, of, of humility to that. So that's how I navigate, uh, how I navigate those particular realms. Um, but I, I, I just don't know. I just know what, what, how I try to meet it. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it's we run into the ambiguity because um, on the one hand, I was mentioning uh, general semantics, which is basically you can't declare anything to be right. You have to say this is how it appears to be for now, you know, until you get more information. And uh, <clears throat> so. I'm sorry, I'm gathering myself here. Um, this idea um, about so we can't ever lock anything down, right? If we want to learn, we can't ever say this is what we've learned, you know? So that's the, the contradiction, right? If we want to move forward, we can't ever say this is what I know now, right? This is what it appears to be right now. Right. This is how we move forward. This is our nature is to learn. And in order to be able to make that next step to the next level of understanding, we have to basically forego everything we thought we knew. And mm -hmm. for example, you know, the paradigm shift in science is a perfect example. Right. Is that a scientist who's worked his whole life on a theory. Right. Um, he's identifying this is his identity. Right. Yes. And so when new information comes in, what we have is a full on battle that occurs for a time until the evidence is so overwhelming that the old paradigm must fucking go away. Right. But those motherfuckers on that old paradigm are going to fight. They're going to fight for that shit. Right. Because that's who they think they are. You know, so this is about a, a preservation of a psychological sense of self. Right. This is about your beliefs. Right. This is making choices out of self-interest right as opposed to approaching the truth you know and so we will see this example almost everywhere in society right uh for example I, I i play chess right i'm an intuitive chess player but when i was at art center in pasadena i worked in the computer lab and so i was up till 2 a.m every night helping other students basically just sitting there doing my homework and playing chess and if someone needed my help they would come get me but uh, so on Yahoo Chess, it's gone now, right? They destroyed it because it was fucking up the national ranking system, the international chess ranking systems, because people were more concerned about their rating than actually playing the game. Mm 
So I would be playing chess against, I always play better people with a much higher rating than me, right? Because I want to play the best, right? And so if I start crushing a motherfucker, like, and I, I'm going to ruin him, right? They'll just leave the chessboard and hope that I'm so impatient that I'll just allow a draw, you know? <laughs> it's like, so it's like, it's less about um, playing the game and more about like how it appears you know, to others, like your rating, you know, right. There's or, all kinds game, of, or, or there's all kinds of examples like this, like in soccer, I'm a football player too. Right. These, these guys who fall down and pretend they're hurt, right. It's a part of the game, right. You, you can draw a foul by pretending you got hurt. Right. And I don't play that way. It's like, I'm more interested in actually straight up run a play. Like who's better. Like, who's going to be better that day? And I'm not a competitive person, but soccer is a metaphor for life in a way. You know, it's probably the best metaphor game for life. It's like the Druids game. We could talk about this later if you want. But my point is, is that the pretending you got hurt in order to draw a, a call from the referee is not, to me, how you play the game, right? This is gamesmanship. This is how you're supposed, this is what you're supposed to do to get an advantage in the game because it works, right? Uh, Luis Suarez in the 2010 fucking World Cup, he handballed that shit. It was going to be a goal, and he knocked it with his hand on purpose to keep the goal in the hopes that somehow their team would come out on top after he um, bastardized the play, the run of play. He, like, handed that ball. So what I'm saying is this, this is the behavior that, that we get. It's more about um, keeping up appearances to yourself and to others than about actuality, you know? And so we end up in a place where we're, it's more of running around in circles. Even the people who, who want to make a better world, right? Or even if we can make a better world, I don't even know if we can, right? Uh, but uh, it just seems like the we're gonna end up in this like division where it's all right. You can have your beliefs. I'll have my beliefs. Right. And nothing ever really happens. Like, so if there is a solution, we're never going to get there like that. You know what I mean? We're never going to get there by being agnostic about certain things that are bullshit. <laughs> but how can we actually really ever say what is true and what isn't? But there are some general things that we can definitely agree on. Right. Is there's something really important here? It's less important to argue about if we're living on a plate, then if we can stop this parasite from putting us in this digital cage, you know? And so that's the more important issue. How is it possible to stop that? Is it even possible to stop it? Right. Just, and it, are are and you so talking like, about the, the, the unfolding of the, the metaverse and, and or where, where technology. Yeah. 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 Like it's the, you know, um, it's the final stages of their plan it's like we are the hogs and they've got their hog the way they divide up hogs on the farm we're like building little fences and shit mm -hmm. you know it's like the hegelian dialectic it's working on us really well both fucking mazes lead to the same cage you know what i mean yeah it's just this more false polarity right and so what i was getting at what i'm trying to get at is because i think we're going to wrap this up here um uh is There, is there something to be done and what is it is it to 
create a, a better model that makes the old one obsolete, right? Which is what you were saying, which is like um, start doing something and then people will come to it and it will grow and it'll surplant this old model. I'm not you saying know? that, but uh, I'm saying some kind. So uh, do you want me to say what I'm saying? Well, <clears throat> or are you, or, or, or I don't want to take you off the point that there's the solution. There's not solutions, right? There's a solution, right? There's only one solution and it is up here, right? This is where the meta was installed. Right, this is right, where we right. have installed. I mean, you ask such big questions. Um, so, I mean, I don't think there's any difference between the, the, the guy who, who, um, who adds gamemanship into his his football match versus the person who wants to go into um, or go into the metaverse or the or the scientist who holds on to the old the old uh, paradigm. Um, all of that comes from from like uh, uh, cultural and societal values, which are ultimately scarcity based. All of those things were either um, holding like, you know, I want to win something because there's only one champion or I need my money or like or even like there's there's a strange dance between scarcity and convenience where they also sell the convenience. So so like all of that to me is just like all nonsensical in a way like our, I, I'm not like saying it's wrong. I'm just saying like that's just stuff which I I see the same the same inherent flaws like it's like that's just chasing your tail no matter how you want to look at it. Um I don't know if uh, I would not position things as is right ways or wrong ways. What I do think is there are ways which are having false realities in harmony with the laws of baseline reality versus what we're doing right now where we have our false reality, which is an inversion or, you know, an opposition. So to me, like, I think that's like a, another possibility. But that being said, like, um, like the idea, like I'm in a group, like it, I, I hear in your voice, I think and maybe I'm misinterpreting it, but I hear in your voice, like a little bit of like, we're going to gather together guys who are going to save the world. Like, I don't think that's the case. I think that what it is, is it's, it is a consciousness game or like, and I do like the word game, but it's just a, it's just a metaphor to describe what the experience is. Um, it is consciousness. And to me, and it's like consciousness is a word with with nuance. So what do you mean by consciousness? Consciousness can uh, to me, how I'm using it has three components. It is your inner world and your inner world are your definitions and your definitions have been given to you. The outer world, the outer world is wherever the hell you put your awareness. It could be anything. It could be on the metaverse. It could be on a tree. It could be on your family. It could be on your career. It's just something. It's just that polar point that you're talking about. And then wherever you do that, then the dance of life takes place. And to me, the only thing you can do is just is is play with one of those or really with two of those things, where you put your attention and how you define what you're putting your attention upon. That's me. That's what I think is the only thing you can do what I can do. You could all I could also agree to the possibility that you could say, I'm going to try to put my awareness nowhere and have total universal connection with 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 the all. I don't think that I, I once I see someone do that, well, then I'll think that's a possibility right now. I don't that's not on my list of things which I'm interested in trying to do. But that's how I, that's my take. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I appreciate you 
um so much bro and i also appreciate what you when you say that's my opinion it's like you're being diplomatic right and for me it's like i hold these understandings about general semantics right which is at the same time a contradiction to me like be like fuck you bro you know it's like actually what you believe is bullshit <laughs> you know and the only difference is i agree with you and i just like my bullshit but i've at least come to that level of like accepting like all right okay but of all the bullshit you can believe this is at least why i did it and and i'm i i, I appreciate that feedback because that's that's it to me is like i'm just saying this is how i came to my conclusion and so everyone can meet meet it the way that which feels true to them. Uh, I am very, very, very conscious with my words. And when I use words which are limiting, it's because I've chosen to limit it. Yeah. And well, I'm okay I mean, with that. I have to caveat, right? I should have said this before. I'm not attacking or defending any position. Right, right. I'm just using words. Right? I'm just using so, words. And it's about it's a it's a minefield when you use words. Right? Particularly we, nowadays. Particularly nowadays. We have to have nowadays, that understanding. Right? Like I was talking to Alex to uh, Sakaris, and I was talking about how um the elites have set up this uh emotional uh pressure chambers, right? Okay. Where it's like these bottles, and every tribe is a bottle, right? And they keep uh, jumping up the pressure, right? And 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 then they're going to open the valve between these two bottles, and this is the both mazes leading to the same cage thing, right? All of a sudden, both ideologies mix, right? Okay. This catastrophic kind of violent fucking pressure equalizing thing. They're you know? certainly trying to create <laughs> that. I would agree with that. So and then it makes it so that it's like. Bam, we're going to equalize the pressure. Everyone on this side thinks this is true. Everyone on this side thinks this is true. And we're going to smash their worlds together. <laughs> and it'll end up being this amalgamation. And we'll just take that and move forward with it. That, that I that's a, that, <laughs> I think that's a, a fair description of what we're seeing, or at least being attempted. Uh, I always like to throw in this one, too. Like, to throw in the idea of the black swan. Right. Like something you just don't see coming, just something you don't see coming, because that seems to be worked into this into the setup of this thing as well. So it's 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 uh, um, with the one thing. This is the nice thing. This is the thing which which I really enjoy about being the age which you and I are. I was born in seven. You told me beginning that you were born in 1970. I was born in 1971. And we have a very, very just experiential, just being a, being born at that particular time. Uh, we fall in a in um, we have a really good point of reference for what's happening in the outer reality right now. Just because we saw, we can kind of remember before technology. Um, but we've been around with it long enough that it's 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 still it's still we have an intuitive relationship with it. We're not quite so old as is a baby boomer. And 
the 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 perspectives which come through experience i think uh particularly to be able to frame up what we're witnessing collectively is um immensely valuable so i'm i'm grateful that you put this call together and that we get to share it the way we do um i do have one last question for you which has been you know burning in the back of my mind this entire time sure where, where where does the ladder where do the steps go to uh is there a loft up there is it like a overlook like what is that <laughs> man you would trip on this place you got to come out and visit man have you been to new mexico to. have you been to new mexico i have not but i have like four points of reference in my personal life over the past four months um you being the fourth one uh, pulling me to New Mexico. Uh, and so like, I'm, I'm tickled. And the fact that, that just looking at the woodwork and like uh, trying to figure out the lighting, which is coming through that window, like all this stuff. Oh, wow. I could see that. Can you stand up upstairs? Yeah. Uh, it's a whole, so my dad, okay. So my dad is a very interesting guy. This is the first room of the house and it's the second story. He put in five, six posts. This is a Pentagon, right? He lived in a teepee for teepee for five years before he built this place. And so the walls slanted in. Right. And he was like, I'm going to build a building where the walls slant out. <laughs> Just for the sake of it, right? Like, like yeah. I love that approach. I love that approach. And so it's like, it's like this. He was into the sacred geometry. Uh, his neighbor was Jim Hertak. I don't know if you've heard that name. He's like big in the woo-woo areas. Hertak, he said this, is that like the keys of Enoch? Or Yes. And he said he would drive his uh, his old Jeep truck. He had a Jeep truck. You know, it's like Jeep made trucks for a few years. And he was riding with Hertak. He was telling me the story when I was like 12. And he was like, the road was so bumpy, so bad. And Hertak just starts going like this. And the suspension just got real easy and floaty. When you have demonstrated experiences like that, it, it, like just to go and like question everything. Yeah. And so I was the reason I brought that up is because before that top room was on, it was just this room, this Pentagon with walls slanting out on stilts right? With a deck going around it. And forever, it was just, you know, it was like, I'm going to build another Pentagon up there, he said, forever. And it's up there now. But for a lot of years, it was just plastic on the top, right? And uh, one night, this storm came in, it was blowing like crazy, lightning fucking striking everywhere and shit. <clears throat> and uh, he just had a feeling that Hertak had brought in this storm, right? <laughs> And he found out the next day, he was like, Hurtak, he's up on the top holding all his plastic. <laughs> he's like holding his plastic in this crazy storm. He's like, Hurtak, he's like 200 meters that way. You know? <laughs> Is Hurtak still alive? Yeah. but I, I, Is he know. still a neighbor? No, he's been gone for 35 years now. But he, but he found out the next day that Hurtak's girlfriend wouldn't, you know, have relations with him. And he was pissed. So he like 
he was like his anger brought in the storm, right? <laughs> hold, on, hold on, I got a little bit confused with all the pronouns. Your dad found out that her tag's girlfriend would have relationship with your father, or with no, her with, with her, her. Basically, her tag wanted some puss, and she wouldn't bust out. And so that storm was a result of his sexual frustration. Yeah. <laughs> all right, and and so you live in this house nowadays. Yeah. And so, like I was saying, it's like uh, my dad came from uh, Ohio. No, I mean, uh, Iowa, Iowa, basically, after he was got out of the Navy with my mom and my older brother and joined the commune on Llama Mountain, which is where. Uh, uh, um, God. Ram Das. Ram Das is the guy. He's the resident guru. Like and okay. he's, dead, he's dead now, but he was the guy over there when in 1972 when my parents went to the Llama Mountain Foundation. And uh then yeah, everything broke. Uh I don't think the hippies were ready to do what they were planning, right? Um, this commune idea, right? Right. And so that that commune fractured. My dad was part of the whole thing. My mom bailed, went to live in a garage for a little while and then moved to the ski valley. So we have a ski area up here and started dating a bartender. And so that's why I'm a skier. You know, it's like, I love skiing. It's a rich man's sport, but it is one of the most amazing experiences that you can have. And it's like you were saying is about gravity. It's an, it's an altered state skiing because you get to play with gravity in a way that your body right, doesn't, right. doesn't, right. But so anyway, so uh, I don't know, I was just rambling there, but. Well, I think that's good. It's, it's a, a nice way to wrap up. We've been talking for about uh, an hour and 40 minutes. I enjoyed this immensely. You know, I'd, uh, I'd like to maybe have future ones. You said that you're a fan of uh, mine and Mark's show. Maybe you participate sometime as well. Would you be open to that? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I want to talk more about this idea. Like, I think uh, um, this idea about breaking the <clears throat> the illusion. I think it's possible to do so. So instead of just the individual um, learning what it needs to, in order to not come back here or whatever, you know, actually, I think this place is supposed to be open for business forever, you know, and it's not supposed to be this place where all this suffering occurs. Like we can actually clean it, right? We can clean the school, basically. That's what I think. But we all have to do it together. And it takes, it's a switch, right? It's not a progression. You just flip a switch. You know? uh, yes. Enlightenment is, there's no degrees to enlightenment. It's the light is on or it's off. And you get flickers, right? Like I've had the light on here for a minute, for a second. <laughs> Fucking shut that shit down and then like freak out. But, uh, you know, we need that light on all the time and for all of us all at once. You know? <laughs> Definitely so. Definitely so. Those are good. Those, those are good words. Yeah, so I'd love to do it again. I mean, even just, um, you know, to go into more about hypothetical possible, you know, ways that we could get a positive outcome here on Earth, you know. Definitely, we need more of, uh, we need more, we need, so, so I'll say this one last thing. So I talk a lot about, I talk a lot about um, both the limitations of, of false realities and beliefs and identifications, 
but I also recognize they are part of the human experience and all of that sort of stuff. And so there's a bit of a paradox because I'm just a storyteller. All I'm doing is I'm taking pieces of data and I'm rearranging them and telling them in a different way. And the reason why I do that is for one reason only is, is just like kind of like what, what, uh, what was it that I said you did or what your father did where he was like, I lived in a teepee and I was living in inverted walls and now I want to have them the other way. And the way you defined of like being what an old soul was, I'm just flipping stories around for the sake of flipping stories to I to show how malleable all stories are and all stories make up our experience. So that being said, what I think is immensely important right now is for us to begin to have other stories of this time and where it leads. They and and to me, this is what has to make sense. They have to be grounded on something where we're gonna be like, okay, well, at least that we can agree upon. We're like, okay. Yes, we'll start right here. May not be that strong. That's why I use history always in my stories. I'm like, you know what? The history might be all bullshit, but we're going to start from there. And it's for the exercise of beginning to see things differently. And I would love to continue to do that, to talk about other ways in which this story ends up. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm all for that, Birch. Yeah. And I'd um, love to come on out to Taos, to Taos as well and see you in New Mexico. That's definitely something I want to do um, sooner than later. Yeah, you would love it. You would fucking love it, man. Um, so right here, we're in this high mountain plateau. We're over a mile high down on the town level. Right. And then there's mountains on all sides. And we kind of live in the micro Alps here in northern New Mexico, where it, so you wouldn't think that in the desert that you would be able to like ski and stuff, but it's, it's pretty crazy. And on this plateau, there's a crack in the basalt that is a mile deep. And so we have this gorge here, right? Okay. This cuts through this uh, mile deep layer of lava that was poured onto this valley 4.5 million years ago. And then there's a rift valley. So it cracked that lava. And now there's this giant crack in the earth, like five miles that way. <laughs> so you got to uh, check this stuff out, man. You got to so, 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 so this is what, what, um, I'll, 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 this one last thing. And then, and then I, 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 I got a shower because I'm going to a holiday party and I'm super excited oh, because I've been to a holiday party for a while and I love parties. Yeah. So, um, one of the things which I've done here in uh, central Pennsylvania on the Susquehanna River and the 40th parallel is I I wrote something called the rights of the 40th parallel. And I identified four places in this one area, which I, I kind of identify as being significant based upon a whole bunch of other things like they're historical based. And I show these places that are nature preserves and I made maps and I describe at first what we see um, both historically and geologically and geographically. And then I transition it into something a little bit more mystical. I'm like, well, yeah, we could look at this uh, in material reality as a reflection of this, which is in the spiritual reality. And then from that, by identifying the locations from a spiritual perspective, I put it in an entire an entire kind of like four four location sort of experience. You come here and it's the energy of this and you can go and have an experience like that. So that being said, 
Not being one of my favorite things, and what I think that is so what what I think is important about that is it introduces to the modern contemporary person like how to kind of have a meaningful, different sort of experience with with the land itself. Like it's kind of like uh, that. That's kind of the the feeling. The reason why I like, or, or one of the reasons why I, I focus my attention on this one area of the 40th parallel in the Susquehanna River has to do with the work of this Toltec elder by the name of Talakiel. And there, I did not meet Talakiel. Talakiel came to this area, this exact area, many, many times. He traveled all throughout the world. But this was a very important area based upon how he understood the true history of life which occurred on Earth. But there's another place, and um, which when you read about where he talks about the Susquehanna River petroglyphs, which is where, where I am right now, he mentions this one canyon in New Mexico. And I can't think of it off the top of my head. It begins with like a CH. I think it's like maybe to the northwest of... Chaco. Um, I'm sorry? Chaco. Probably, yes, Chaco. So he made a link. This guy, Talakiel, made a link between this area where I wrote this Rites of the 40th Parallel and then also Chaco Canyon. And I keep on getting all of these pools to New Mexico. So in my mind, this is what I would like to do. I would like to recreate what I did for the, Sus for the 40th Parallel, and I want to do it over there. And here's the thing. The area where I wrote this, I've never lived here before. I moved here, and one year after living here, I was. this is where the story came from. And so I know that that's the truth about Mike. It has nothing to do with like being familiar with the area. It's about being able to see it with fresh eyes. And so this is what this, – this is my birthday wish for myself, because <laughs> last week was my birthday, birthday. is that I am going to come out to New Mexico, and I am going to get tours and identifications from people, hopefully from yourself, and begin to see it, and maybe even with the participants participation from some of the locals who live out there, I would like to go and create another experience uh, or create another kind of like guidebook for how to interact with exactly where you're talking about. And the link, the link between the two is this gentleman who went by the name of Talakiel. So that is that is that is the image, the story I'd like to go and 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 leave all of the good folks who've been listening along and playing along with us uh, in their minds. Yeah, um, you might find that when you uh, undertake that um, mission that you have, right? Which is because I think you should do it, right? Not, you know, you shouldn't just talk about it. You should, I think this I is I agree with you. Can... I would not mention it unless it's something <laughs> I hope to do. And but, plan uh, to do. Yeah. Um, get ready for like uh, a big bite, bro. Because you're going to bite off a lot if you do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that would be part of the thing. That would be part of that would be part of how this meets me in my journey. Yeah, no, and I would love to. You know, one of the things about me is that I love to like share with people. You know. All right. Uh, I went to Art Center. I was kind of that. Old, I was thirty when I went there, uh, which is to for my industrial design degree in Pasadena. Okay. All, all of the other kids were like eighteen, right? And so I was the weird old guy trying to help. <laughs> these Korean kids who carry around stuffed animals, you know, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So yeah, Chaco Canyon. So they have the, the sun dagger there. Have you heard about that? 
I know nothing about Chaco Canyon other than sure. the fact that Tilakiel has linked the two. And I've been keeping, I've been like, I, I've been keeping uh, um, a purposeful um, ignorance so that I am not, so I am not uh, influenced. So yeah, I, I won't say anything. Man. No but so, but this is my first time. What did you call it? The dagger, the sun dagger. Yeah, the sun dagger. So they had this. They were one of the only cultures. I've heard you talk about this, uh, which is mapping out the complete cycle of the moon. How long does it take for the moon to go back to where it started from? Uh, well, it depends upon like there's a 52 year cycle, but there's also a 29 day cycle. If that's what you mean, like, no, no. What? Like if you saw it rise at a full moon um, over a particular mountain. And then when would it rise there again? Right. Yeah, that I believe that's the 52-year cycle. Okay, so it's generational. I mean, even if it was 32, which is what I was thinking it was, or even if it was 17 and a half, which is like half the cycle, it's still generational. Like it requires a teacher and a bunch of students for over many, many, many years to do this. They map the complete cycle of the sun, and it's all on the sun dagger and so that i mean not the sun but the moon so they got the moon, the moon wow now, the now definitely now you, you you're uh, uh it's funny that the sun dagger is called is for the moon but <laughs> it's for both. so it, it actually does the sun so it casts a sh uh it actually creates a dagger of light on a spiral that's carved into a stone that's like this big and so that the way that dagger of light moves across the spiral allows them to keep track of time solar and lunar right they they map the whole complete cycle so it's the honest that, that i i would love to see that and see how that was done yeah what's the thing is is that somebody went in there and fucked it up so you can't go up there anymore <laughs> but you can look at pictures. <laughs> all right so we got that to work with so uh just hurdles just hurdles my friend this has been a lot of fun yeah man so good i'm so happy that we were able to do this and let's do it again all right all right. Um, I'll, I'll leave you my, or I sent you my number, right? So reach out anytime and then we can maybe, you know, have more of a regular conversation. Sounds great. All right. Cool, man. Have a All great right. holiday. Enjoy the rest of, yeah. Enjoy the rest of your time. Have fun at the party. See ya. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Okay. Big thanks to Mike for coming on the broadcast. We kept it raw as intended. I think I like to do it that way. Um, yeah, I, right. I can't give an explanation except to that you know it's uh, less formulate, formulaic, uh, formulated, right? Um, which is what I wanted to avoid because you know I do a lot of thinking about these subjects, and um, the fear is is that I will uh, <laughs> drive the conversation uh, in a way that's maybe um, forced. Right. And so um, wanting to avoid that, you sometimes end up doing it anyway when you're in the heat of the conversation. So, <clears throat> um, you know, just wanted to let you all know that I'm aware of that. And that still, though, uh, the way the conversation plays out when it's natural and less um, <clears throat> structured with talking points is good, I think, and in this case. For sure. Um, so I got to clarify what I was talking about. And I've said this stuff before. And, 
you know, um, the truth cut with a sword is just rumor, right? I can't, or I don't think it's necessary. It shouldn't be necessary, right? To repeat the same thing over and over because then it just becomes, um, propaganda, <laughs> right? That's the whole nature of what Mike and I are talking about. And it's what I'm trying to get across in the podcast. And it's definitely a tricky subject. So, but I will, um, so I agree with Mike, right? Um, there is a false reality and it is maintained by our domestic consciousness, right? Um, but since we kind of skipped around and it's a little bit patchy, um, I wanted to try to say it in fewer words and as concisely as possible. Um, so, right, hopefully you just listen to the conversation and I can just jump right into these um, ideas. Um, we can make the assertion, we can make the assertion that consensus, right, beliefs held by the majority determine the conditions under which relationship takes place. And when I say relationship, I mean the entire scope of human interactions in society or civilization. And when I continue on this, I often sometimes will um, interchange civilization and society because to me they're the same. So beliefs held by the majority determine the conditions under which the relationships in society that govern the interactions of society um, determine the conditions under which the relationships take place. So whatever is agreed to be true by the majority becomes operatively true in society. I mean, it's kind of a tricky concept, but it's self-evident because we can see it everywhere, right? Um, human beings aren't necessarily concerned with the truth, right? They're concerned with stories <laughs> and how it makes them feel, right? But to say that whatever is agreed to be true by the majority becomes operatively true in society is demonstrated by the concept of money, right? We agree to allow money to have value so that we can use it for a medium of exchange, right? So we can make that assertion, right? We can say that is true beyond a shadow of a doubt, right? Because it, it, it's important as we move on to this next part. Civilization is a process right, that is advanced through the interactions of its participants. The, particip the participants reference a common set of assumptions as the baseline for relation to others. This influences their decisions. Over time, the aggregate outcome of interactions ba based on these conditions has manifested as a repeating pattern. Right. Okay, so I'll say that again, right? Civilization is a process that is advanced through the interactions of its participants, right? The aggregate outcome of those interactions, right? The outcome on average of those interactions based on these conditions manifests a repeating pattern that we identify as civilization. So then the overarching question is, knowing that consensus maintains the continued development of society, what are the circumstances in which civilization began, right? 
because this is when we, right, this is civilization, the advent of civilization marks a departure from the natural order into an order that is devised by the mind of man, I guess you could say. I mean, it's something, right? But it's an artificial order, right? The laws of man, right, are not the laws of nature. It's artificial. Um, they're made by man. They're man-made, right? So the advent of civilization marks a departure from the natural order. Civilization, right, as we know it, it its most recent incarnation, right, um, or you could say the standard model of how we look at the concept of civilization, right? Right. Civilization is a self-iterating process that was installed on top of the process of nature, right? Because we can agree that it's artificial. So it's a system that runs outside of nature on a rhythm or a cycle that is independent of nature. Right. So it's an artificial reality. <laughs> Copy, y'all. Right. That's the definition of it. Right? It's meta 1.0 and it is governed by an artificial rhythm. The only place available right, for an artificial structure to be um, built is in our minds. Right. Especially at the dawn of civilization. Right. This is the only place where a false construct or an artificial construct can be built because what we agree on in on mass becomes real to the group, even if <clears throat> false or based on false assumptions or inaccurate or partially true. Right. Society can run entirely on false principles because it is a closed system. It is enclosed in our minds. So it seems that if we can, by agreement, grant significance to something that does not have it, then the original general assumption that leads to the creation of civilization must be artificial. I mean, it's kind of a jump, but follow me here, right? So if we can, by agreement, make something real that isn't real, <laughs> right, then um, the original agreement that leads to the creation of civilization, right? The original uh, consensus belief that makes it possible for civilization to begin, um, right? <clears throat> it is this, right? It is this consensus belief, whether true or not, right? That um, creates the conditions for civilization to be implemented, right? And, uh, it's an unnatural process, a process whose continuation depends on the beliefs of the participants. So, right, if it's made up this worldview, right, right, this uh, artificial paradigm, right, then whose idea was it, <laughs> right? Because it's man-made, right? It was thought up, right? What is the foundational belief structure underpinning it all? What was the original consensus that permitted us subjecting ourselves to artificial rule, right? Rule that is outside of the laws of nature. The initial conditions, right? These are the initial conditions of the process, right? The conditions by which the process starts. The initial conditions by which civilization commences are the commonly held set of assumptions, concepts, and values of the people involved, right? This is the definition of a paradigm. Because look, Right. I haven't said what they are yet, but we already know that what people believe in general um, 
becomes part of the operation of society, becomes part of the decision-making process of the participants, participants, right? We know that. We already know that's true, right? So what were, what was the, um, right? What was the commonly held set of assumptions, right? That allowed this to happen. Let's identify the basic assumption of the paradigm, right? And that is that nature is cruel and dangerous and everyone, right? All people are in competition with each other for a limited supply of life, right? That's the basic assumption, right? We have to question this original assumption that there is a limited supply of life, right? So like, think about that, right? When I say life, right, we're alive. So it requires certain um, things. We require certain things in order to stay alive. So I'm just generalizing and saying supply of life, right? This is the physical problem. So we have to question this original assumption, right? Because we know that it could be not true because <laughs> we've seen this happen just by studying, studying history. We question the original assumption that there is a limited supply of life and that humanity is a threat to itself due to its own ruthless nature because it is the condition, right? This assumption, it is the condition that must be present to warrant becoming subject of artificial rule subjects of artificial rule, right? This assumption is suspect right, for a number of reasons. First, we know that consensus belief structure becomes universally adopted because it attains a tipping point in followers. Thereafter, new adherents are just jumping on the bandwagon, right? They're just, um, everyone else thinks so, so it must be true, right? So it's not based on actual evaluation, right? We know this. Value in society is measured by popularity, not necessarily by actual merit, right? That's another way of saying what I first said, right? That consensus belief structure becomes universally adopted because it attains a tipping point of followers, of number of followers, right? And thereafter, it grows exponentially until it becomes everywhere. Everyone thinks it, right? And so value, right? in society is measured by popularity, right? This is the concept of credibility and not necessarily actual merit. This makes it possible to create the perception of value through promotion or conditioning. So I think I need to try to explain why I, right? So consensus belief um, is basically how that an individual, right, these beliefs, they will navigate the structure created by these beliefs in order to um, garner value from the environment, right? So you're basically, we can basically say that uh, what is popular is valuable, right, in society. So that's how I was able to say that, right, value in society is measured by popularity, not necessarily actual merit, because we can see that a lot of popular things are shit, <laughs> right, right? And, and we know that they're popular because the perception of value can be manipulated, right, by conditioning the mind over time with promotion, right, sustained reinforcement, right, or programming, conditioning, right? I mean, I don't have to say anything more than that. It should be very fucking clear, right? Okay? This is a feature of society, right? Um, this uh, manipulation of the perception of value, right? We can make something seem popular and then it becomes popular. Or we can make a popular thing seem like it's uh, losing its, uh, um, like we're, it's running out, right? Like it's selling out, <laughs> 
right? We can manage the supply of something. So this is what I'm getting at, right? This is a feature of society dating back to the dawn of civilization, right? This conditioning, this programming, this sustained reinforcement, this promotion of a uh, concept or a promotion of a way to determine value, right? So this original assumption, right, that there's a limited supply of life and that we're in competition for it, right, it's suspect. <laughs> it's suspect. Um, so, right, um, right, another reason it's suspect is the fact that, right, I was just mentioning this, that the, the diminishment in quantity of a popular supply increases its price. And who benefits from a spike in demand? The owner of the supply, right? A cost that increases with demand. So how do you increase demand, right? By creating the appearance of a limited supply. <laughs> I mean, do I have to bring up the obvious fucking example? No, I'm not going to bring it up, right? Because you're already thinking of it, um, right? What is an example where the supply of something is artificially limited in order to drive its price, right? Nearly fucking everything we buy. Oil, diamonds. Okay, fuck, I said it. Uh, right? So, right, who benefits from a spike in demand, right? The owner of the supply, right? And civilization is an offer, right, from someone who controls the supply, right? It's an offer of life at a price, right? A cost that is outside of the accounting system of nature, right? Civilization is an offer of life at a price, right? And the cost is uh, determined by the demand, right? And we, the demand is created by conditioning, right? So we are conditioned to accept the conditions, right? We're being sold a version of something, but not the actual thing, right? That we already possess. So it's like, and it's tricky to talk about. Right. Because it's self-fulfilling. Um, right. If people see a supply being depleted, it creates a cascade of overwhelming demand. Hello. Right. I mean, we can see examples of this all over the place, especially in the last couple of years. And we're going to see it more. Right. Right. And it's this is what's going to right make the offer more attractive this time around. Right. Can you see what's happening? Okay, so it's pointless to talk about the danger of our conditioning, though, right? Um, but I'm doing it. But really, I'm talking um, in not necessarily the danger, because that toothpaste is out of the tube, right? This process has been running for thousands of years, right? It's the uh, original artificial reality, um, right? We are already conditioned, and um, the process um, is working on us and has been for a very long time, right? So it's silly, right, to talk about the danger of conditioning <laughs> because um, it's done, right? We're here. But uh, let's say that it's false, right? That the assumption is false, right? That the condition is false, um, that life is not limited, but unlimited, that it is not human nature to prey on itself. If it is false, then it is an engendered condition, right? And not our nature. If our violent, our so-called violent and selfish nature is a fabrication, right? Then there's nothing wrong with us. We don't need to be fixed. We don't need an upgrade. Right? A wolf does not betray its nature by killing. It plays out the promulgation of its species 
interdependent with and within its ecosystem without question. Culture, right? Talking about the difference here between human being and an animal, right? Culture does not manifest as a feature of a species if its nature is entirely motivated by preservation of the self, right? Culture does not manifest as a feature of a species if its nature is entirely motivated by preservation of the self, self-preservation. Culture is a development, right? Is a development of, is a feature that has been developed because collective creation of value preserves the group. For a human to be of value to others is a very effective strategy, and it's hardwired into us. We had culture before the process of civilization began, which means that cooperative interaction was part of who we are before civilization started, right? And another way to say that is that cooperative interaction is more prevalent right, on aggregate over time than competitive interaction, right? It is a more effective strategy, which is why more people adopted it, which is why it is our nature. Are you see where I'm going with this? Seeing competition as the driving force behind progress is the same limited supply outlook, right? Cooperation promotes living, right? Not trying not to die. It promotes trying to live. <laughs> it promotes living, not trying to avoid getting killed, right? Cooperation promotes living, which expands the available supply at an ever-increasing rate. Our nature is to produce something that is of value to others, right? We do this. This is still who we are, right? The beauty of being is still within us, right? <laughs> there's nothing to be done to fix our condition because there's nothing to fix. The condition is a construct built on top of our nature, and our nature is ever-present, right? It's always there. There's nothing to be done because knowing who we are, just knowing who we are dissolves the construct because it is, it becomes clear that it's false, that it is a condition that perpetuates a false reality, right? So I, uh, I have more to say on this. There's a way to connect it um, to in varying different ways. And uh, I have an action that I think that we can take, right? And it's a way for me to um, work on something, right, to work on the positive outcome, right? So there's nothing to be done, but <laughs> um, if we don't say no, right, then the process will complete and whatever we were hijacked to build, right, will have trapped us, right? So that's why it's, like, difficult to talk about because we don't have to do anything, right? All we have to do is say no, um, and we can only say no right, to the offer, right, if we know who we are, right? So my action that I want to present to, to, um, to unveil or to um, announce in the next episode is related um, to what I'm talking about, and there's more to say about it. So, but to cap it all off, right, civilization, right, has been weaponized against us since day one, right? It has hijacked our creative potential, and it isn't necessary for our development, right? People talk about Earth being a school, but um, the school has been infected, right? Um, actually, to we come here to be creative, right? This is what it seems to me, right? We come here to um, learn to create in alignment with the uh, principles of nature. So, but anyway, right? So <clears throat> that's what I'm saying is that it's this um, artificial reality, right? It's not necessary 
for our development and it doesn't catalyze our evolution, right? It just, it holds us back. Um, it governs us, right? In the sense of the word of a governor, um, the way it is on, you know, a U-Haul truck, right? It actually holds you back. <laughs> so it's not a catalyst for our evolution. It's um, something that is preventing our development, right? And it's not natural, right? We don't need it. We don't need an upgrade only to negate that condition. But here we are, right? And it's 6,000 years later, and the process has been running the whole time. Um, it's almost complete. Trying to stop it is a response to events taking place within the parameters of the process. And so it becomes part of the process. Um, so when we say we got to resist and we got to fight right against the tyranny, right? That's what is expected. Right? That's what's expected of us. That's part of the revelation of the method, right? This is just the final stages. And so it's very clear, um, right? From a human perspective, from an anthropomorphized perspective, who the bad guys are, right? But if we fight, right, then we become the polar opposite of the bad guys, right? And then it's just a rhythmic cycle, right? That is part of the process. It runs the process. And so this is one of the main things that I want the truth community to understand, right? Um, right, we can see all this stuff. That's fucking fine. That's great. Fantastic. Um, but um, to create the positive outcome, we have to negate it, right? We have to do the Lisa Simpson, right? From the episode when the giant signs, the advertisements in Springfield uh, become an animated and uh, start destroying the town. And Lisa comes up with the solution. Just don't look, right? Just don't look at the ads. <laughs> Just don't look at the programming, <laughs> Right. We can't we legitimize it by fighting it <laughs> and it's part of the fucking plan. So the only way to get out of it is to know who we are. Right. And um, say no to the offer. Right. Everyone say no in concert. That's what is required. And it's not a thing that, okay, if we do this, then we start this um, breakaway civilization and it'll slowly, people will start to come to it and it'll reach a tipping point and then it'll fucking flip. Uh, nope. <laughs> right? Not in this case, because um, unless we all jump ship uh, it uh, all at once, right? right? There is no need for a new paradigm. Right? There is only a need to remove all paradise, right? So we all do it at once. Um, and our nature as divine beings is to um, be creative. And the motivation for the creativity is to make fucking shit awesome for yourself and others. <laughs> so stay tuned, y'all. More to come. Um, I almost just made the announcement anyway because I was kind of on a roll. But uh Wait for it, I guess. And you know what? Fuck it. Um, so I have that, if you're listening to my Shoot the Moon or the uh, Spiritual Evolution or fucking the, the episode where I said I had the cure to the mind virus, right? That's the anti-coin, right? And that's the action that I think can stimulate a reminder of who we are, right? And so if everyone gets the anti-coin, right? 
then like if it's a lot of people get it right then um, they made the investment knowing that it that they know who they are right so um i'm gonna offer an nft right so it's the anti-nft right no it actually it's probably best just to call it a non-fungible token because it's a token of who you really fucking are right so that coin the anti-coin that you can see on my website um in the next couple of days or so um i will place a link for uh the nft so that you can download the uh, stl you know the uh, 3D printable file of the anti-coin, right? And then you, it'll be uh, recorded on the blockchain. So um, everyone who has one will be in there, right? And uh, and uh, I don't have to ship it. And uh, it's um, a double reverse, reverse move <laughs> again, right? Using this uh, retarded fucking... Uh, nft concept which you know you guys what it's driving towards right which is the metaverse right you can buy fucking your original fucking skin right for your avatar right so you can buy products for your fucking avatar right that's what this is priming you for so i just want you all to know that right but we can uh we can backdoor the motherfuckers all right um we can shoot the moon so yeah uh, keep a lookout uh, on the website for the button that says uh, NFT. And I love all you guys, all you ladies, um, all you motherfucking freaks out there, um, right? You know who you are. You know who you are.